I'm Amber. And I'm Becca. From cranberries to cows and everything in between, this is Forward Farming. Hey guys, welcome back to Forward Farming. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to today's episode because when Becca and I first realized who we were talking to, this was one of those episodes where we had no idea that this crop was even grown in Wisconsin. We knew next to nothing about this crop. And when we found out horseradish, it's a pretty big deal in Wisconsin that uh, we were going to be talking to the president of Silver Spring Foods, and they are the world's largest grower and processor of horseradish in the world. Like, what? Did you guys have any idea? I didn't know up from down from horseradish. I didn't know all the different products. You guys will hear in just a few minutes, but I hope you guys really enjoy this episode and learn something from it because Eric, he's just so knowledgeable and has such a really cool family history. And like, they sent us a bunch of products to try. My mind is just blown. So I hope you guys really enjoy today's episode. I don't want to spend too much time chit-chatting because we dive into some pretty fun topics all about horseradish. So buckle up, get your sinuses ready (laughs) because this episode is full of zing. Enjoy! Without further ado, we are so excited for our guest tonight. His name is Eric Rigg, and he is the president of Silver Spring Foods. Now, when you think of horseradish, first of all, that's a really hard word to say. Am I right? (laughs) Yes, that is. It's hard Uh, to market, too. Horseradish, yeah. Oh, I bet. So when you think of it, I guess I don't always think of Wisconsin, um, but... Wisconsin is a really big contributor to horseradish. I'm going to just butcher that all the entire night. We're just going to be stumbling all night. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So before we had started talking about um, the, the crop and how it's grown in Wisconsin and all the great products that you guys make at Silver Spring, do you just want to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, how you kind of got into working with Silver Spring? So, yeah, uh, I would love to do that. Uh, my name is Eric Rigg. I'm the president of Silver Spring Foods, and Hunsinger Farms is our farming operation. Uh, our claim to fame is we are the world's largest grower and processor of horseradish. So we might be the single largest grower, but it's hard to verify that, uh, or we might be the largest processor. Again, hard to verify that without having everybody's numbers. We're all generally private companies. But no one is doing both on the same scale that we're doing. It's, it's unusual uh, to do both the, the, the growing and the processing. And it, it gives us a lot of advantages, and I'll get into a little bit of that uh, later. But I'm a fourth-generation horseradish farmer. So my great-grandfather, uh, his name was Ellis Hunsinger, uh, started the company in 1929. He was a door-to-door rod salesman before he got in back into farming. His family was in farming. He grew up on a farm. And uh, one of the reasons why he he pivoted back into agriculture was, I think, one, there's so many, so many lightning rods you can sell. It's not a lot of repeat customers there. <laughs> and uh, two, uh, farming and agriculture is something he was familiar with, and it was a way to feed his family. And so why horseradish? You know, that's a great, a great question. Why here? Um, well, he grew other things to start. He, he grew uh, corn and strawberries and melons and potatoes. Um, we've got some, some of the history there. Uh, and he also added horseradish. Uh, horseradish 
I think with his Hunsinger is German, so with his German heritage, planted horseradish as a crop to see how it would do. And uh, it really flourished. Uh, it flourished in Wisconsin uh, in the soil that we have here with the variety that he's, that he started with. And uh, one of the reasons for that is we're near, in Eau Claire, we're near the 45th parallel. So halfway between uh, the, the, the equator and the North Pole. So temperature wise, it's kind of ideal for horseradish and you're gonna find horseradish growing regions all over the globe, kind of around that 45th parallel on both the Northern hemisphere and potentially in the Southern hemisphere as well. If you look at Europe and some of the growing regions, it is, it's fascinating, it, it grows well here. Uh, beans grow well here, uh, cranberries grow well here. Uh, so, so there's some interesting, um, you know, with the temperature and the soil. In the southern climates, where it's warmer, um, you have more sun and more energies going into these big, beautiful green leaves, which we do nothing with. We are interested in big, bulky, hardy roots that are under the ground, and they kind of bulk up for the winter. So we want that cold uh, winter, that frost, that helps uh, with the product development. So I think the soil was good here, um, and the... The, another part of horseradish is you can keep it in cold storage. We like to say you have to keep horseradish cold to keep it hot. So we refrigerate it through its entire process, whether it's in cold storage in the ground naturally here in Wisconsin, or when we pull it out of the ground for harvest, we put it into cold storage, and then we wait. We can wait until we're able to grind it. Um, so for Ellis Hunsinger, when he started, he was able to store the horseradish that he harvested before it froze uh, in the coolers and then grind it and sell it during the winter months and help augment his income uh, through the winter versus some of the other crops, which is harder to do that, to have a market for them in the wintertime. And horseradish, that's when people are using it. Typically, um, you know, they're using it around the holidays. They're, they're using it for Thanksgiving and for, for uh, Christmas time. Uh, for uh, New Year's, it's a great way to, you know, uh, mix in the cocktail sauce for shrimp and, um, you know, prime rib, obviously, uh, roast beef, those types of things, beverages, Bloody Marys. Um, you can mix it in with applesauce for, for pork chops. One of my favorite products is the cranberry horseradish, uh, which is really good with pork or with uh, poultry. Uh, the way we landed upon that is being in a family business that, that has a horseradish farm. Uh, we always had horseradish on the table growing up, and during Thanksgiving, we'd make our own fresh cranberry sauce, like many people do, and uh, the two co-mingled on the plate, mixed together, and we're like, man, this is this is excellent. We should we should bring this to market. You know, maybe someone will buy it. <laughs> so it's it's been fun uh, coming up with new products. Sometimes that way, and sometimes with a little bit more of uh, market research and and. Um, you know, looking to see what consumers are looking for. So that's kind of how we got started. And then it, it, it grew from there. Um, it, it's, it's a, it was a regional brand and we become, became national. So right now we are the number one brand of horseradish in the U.S. We sell primarily our products domestically in the U.S., a little bit to Canada. Uh, we have shipped products overseas. One of the problems with that for us is just refrigerated products, it's really expensive to, to get it there. And, and there are other growing regions uh, in Europe. So a lot of the horseradish uh, that supplies that market comes from there. Uh, and then there's actually a growing region in China uh, for horseradish, but 
what they're primarily using that for is uh, dehydrating it and turning it into wasabi powder. Most wasabi that uh, you, you have is actually 99% of it is dehydrated horseradish with uh, green food coloring. So Wow, I didn't know uh, that. <clears throat> yep, so there's real wasabi out there, uh, but it's just really expensive. We've tried to grow it ourselves here. Um, 70, 80, 90 bucks a pound, something like that. We can raise commercial horseradish for less than a dollar a pound. So, yeah, there's this huge difference in cost, but the, the chemical makeup that, that makes it hot gives that, that signature nose searing heat um, is essentially the same, same chemical. Uh, horseradish and wasabi are in the mustard family. It's a brassica. So mustard has it too. The center of mustard has that pungency. So a really good um, mustard will almost taste like a horseradish mustard, partly because it's it's got that same kind of signature heat. This doesn't happen where we're both just left speechless, but there's just so much that I don't know that I just learned. Um, so, so for folks who might not have tried horseradish already, could you maybe describe the taste a little bit? And then what does the, what does a plant look like? When I first heard that we we're going to be talking to you, I immediately, my mind went to horseradish looking like a, like I knew it was a root, but I didn't know if it looked like a ginger, like if it looked like ginger, if it looked like ginseng, I guess I don't know what the plant looks like itself. How do you grow it? Kind of walk us through the growing process, what it looks like, all of that other fun stuff. Yeah, so... You think you mentioned it right off the bat. The name is kind of bizarre. Horse it has nothing to do with horses, and it's not even a radish. So, you know, go figure. I, I'm I'm stuck with this with this product to uh, to try to you know, bring to the world. But um, other other countries call it different things that are more appropriate, like pepper root in Sweden, uh, kren in Austria, which means to cry. Um, that's the signature feature of of the plant. Um, the heat comes from this, this enzymatic reaction when, when predators are biting the root. So when you put horseradish in your mouth, the root itself, it's not hot. But as soon as you start chewing on it, it's releasing this, this blast of heat. The, the, the technical chemical in there is called, it's a mouthful, allylisothiocyanate. I'm going to test you on both on that later. <laughs> let, let me break that That's down harder than horseradish? I, I cannot. <laughs> AITC. So that's what's in mustard. That's what gives the it is heat and horseradish is heat and wasabi it's heat. And there's different levels of it. And there there are compounds in horseradish that when you when you break up the root cells, it creates this this ephemeral uh, flavor which goes up into your nose nose sting, uh, makes your eyes water, and uh, gives it its its um, signature flavor. So that's what we're looking for. That's why we we uh, like it, um, and uh, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride. It's it's pretty intense uh, right off the bat, but then it will dissipate over time. Unlike capsaicin, which is the chemical that's in a pepper. So if you have a jalapeno or or a habanero or ghost peppers, or there there is um, a way to measure the different levels of capsaicin in a pepper. Um, Dr. Scoville created Scoville units to measure that, so you can compare one pepper from another. We thought this was such a great idea that we uh, we did it for our category for horseradish. Uh, we we developed a heat index for horseradish, so we can compare 
the levels of allyl-isothiocyanate in our different roots and different products so that we could segment the market and let uh, consumers who, you know, maybe wanted a lower heat level um, uh, to try a, a lower level product. And then those that really like it hot, you know, blast your nose, make your eyes water, you know, the pain, no, no pain, no gain. Uh, we can have a, a product for them as well. So we call it the Zing Factor. We developed it. We developed the, the, the way to measure it. Uh, and we are just this year, excitingly, putting it on the package uh, across our range of horseradish products. So you have um, uh, on our lower level, it's a cranberry horseradish, a Zing Factor to one. Our prepared horseradish, which is our mainstream product, number one item is, is right in the middle of the scale, Zing Factor of three. And then we have an extra hot horseradish that really knocks your socks off. That's a zinc factor of five. And beyond that, it's just kind of too hot to 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 want to use. So you can have products that that are hotter than that, but it's uh, uh, maybe not advisable <laughs> because you're going to be uh, pretty pretty painful. Are so, there different? Sorry, um, yeah. are there different varieties of horseradish, or are these zings? Um, just based on like your recipe of making the product? There are different varieties of horseradish. Uh, we tend to use one primarily that we grow. It's called Big Top Western. And the reason why we use that variety is because it grows really well here. It's got kind of a thicker, hardier uh, skin. Uh, it, it, it gets enough bulk for us, but it's got a nice flavor and, and heat profile that we're looking for. There are some other growers in uh, Collinsville, Illinois area. There's a big growing region down there. A lot of families, multi-generational families growing horseradish. And they've been playing around with different varieties of horseradish for years. So they're actively operating maybe 50 or 60 different varieties right now uh, that they're creating themselves by crossing different plants from different backgrounds to try to increase the bulk, uh, prevent, uh, uh, in, improve uh, disease resistance, uh, and also uh, heat. And so they've had some success with that. Um, those varieties, we've tried some varieties up here in, in Wisconsin, in our soil and in climate, and they don't perform as well. So we haven't attempted to, to do our own kind of breeding program, so to speak, just because I, I feel like we're pretty happy with, with what we got. But those roots will taste different. You can go into our cooler and we buy from them too, we're growing about 70% of what our needs are. So we're buying about 30% of what we need on the market, uh, largely from those growers uh, uh, down in Collinsville, Illinois. And we can try different characteristics. So the heat, the, the color, uh, the bitterness, um, they all kind of come across on the scale. And, you know, we can, we can do a root blend in our processing system here so we can have a more consistent, finished, good product. You know, for a consumer standpoint, we kind of want you to have a, a consistent heat level and, and flavor profile. Difficult to do because horseradish changes so much from year to year, field to field, like anything else. Um, but if we can do a root blend and make adjustments and we have that heat index so we can measure the heat level uh, to make sure that we're, we're kind of delivering for consumers uh, a more consistent product. So I think that's one of the advantages we have being growers, but also having the ability to blend. Uh, different routes um, to achieve that consistency. That's really interesting. So what what does the farm look like, I guess, right now? And 
and how do you how do you grow them? You said that they're they're in the ground over winter. So are they a perennial plant or are they a harvest and re- immediately replant? What does that yeah, look so they're, like? They're perennials, but we still um, harvest in the spring and the fall. We have we have both. So we're approaching our fall harvest here. Um, we have roots in the ground that we planted uh, last fall uh, or before that. Uh, generally, we leave them in the ground, the, the sets in the ground for, for a 12-month growing period. It can be 18 months. It can be up to two years. Anything below, anything before 12 months, we're not getting a yield out of it, and we're not getting flavor development. Uh, 18 months is pretty good. I think that's kind of a sweet spot for us. Sometimes we just need the root sooner. Two years is okay too, but then it's in the ground longer and has more chances for disease, more chances for crown rot, more chances for other things to happen to the root. Uh, but it does gain bulk uh, and, and sometimes heat development over time as well. So 12 to 18 months is kind of our sweet spot. So generally what we do is is this fall, we're going to be harvesting roots that we planted last fall. They've had uh, one year's growing time, one at least one winter uh, to get through. And we'll have a pretty good pretty good yield out of that. And when we harvest the horseradish, we're, we're not doing anything with the leaves right now. So we cut the leaves off. The leaves are these big, beautiful green leaves. They, they can grow to be about waist high. Um, there are some, and there is some interest in the leaves from a health perspective, but we're not commercializing the leaves at all right now. It's some, something maybe we can work on in the future. Uh, so we cut them and rake them to the side. We go in with our Horseradish harvester, which you can't buy at John Deere. You can't just go get one of these things. You, you, we we took a potato harvester, cut it all apart, put it all back together, modified it for horseradish specifically. That goes in as a blade under the ground, pulls the roots out of the ground, kind of like potatoes and maybe like beets. Uh, and we're trying to shake all the soil off as much as possible. But there's these networks of sets and crowns coming around so they're you know depending on the the soil it's in it, they can come up in a big dirt ball so we're trying to knock that off leave that soil in the field if we can and then we haul it back to our um, facility here in Eau Claire uh, it's our underground facility it's our cold storage facility and it stays in there until uh, we're ready to to grind it uh, and, and bottle it uh, before that, though, it runs across our belt line, and we cut pieces of the, the horseradish root off. They're called sets. They actually grow; they're extensions off of the the root itself. And we're looking for sets about six to eight inches long, about as thick as your thumb. And we are collecting those as we're harvesting, and as we bring them back to the underground, and then that's our seed stock. We go back out in the field then and plant the the sets. And then those uh, a year from that planting will be ready to harvest, you know, same cycle. So we are able to propagate our own um, uh, horseradish indefinitely uh, with this style. Now, we learned the hard way. Uh, you can't grow the same crop in the same field year after year and, and expect to have good things happen. And, and that's exactly what my grandfather and great and great grandfather did. And they ran into all sorts of problems. So uh, verticillium wilt was a disease that attacked potatoes that got, came after horseradish. They had yield issues. Um, so they transitioned and set us up for a five to seven year crop rotation in Wisconsin, where we're growing horseradish and then followed by corn and soybeans and oh, it's an alfalfa. And we've got um, 
snap beans in some cases. So we look for rotation crops in the between years uh, to, to be sustainable. And it's great, as we know more now than they did back then about soil science and, and biodiversity and, you know, all the benefits that you get from, from having plants that are able to do different things in, in the soil, from being nitrogen fixing to, to needing nitrogen to, you know, looking for different nutrients in the soil or, or, or maintaining the soil for better moisture retention. Um, we're leaning hard into regenerative agriculture with cover cropping now to keep more crops in even all winter. So we're planting rye uh, to, to help us with this and, and, and be able to utilize, you know, better, have better soil uh, and nutrient banks and, and access to the nutrients, but also be able to use fewer um, chemicals, um, artificial, you know, fertilizers and stuff like that. If we can kind of generate it naturally, uh, that's, that's going to be better for us and better for the land long-term. So those are all things that we're, we've been doing for a long time, but we're leaning pretty hard into doing more of them and, under, and really understanding why they're beneficial for us. And we need to do them so that we can continue to focus on the horseradish and plant health long-term. So yeah, that, that's kind of the life cycle of a horseradish root. Uh, it sits in the cold storage and then we have a cleaning process. We use a lot of water for that. Uh, and, and it gets gets cleaned and inspected and, and goes through a metal detection and x-ray to make sure there's no foreign material from the fields that we don't want getting into the finished product for humans consumption, of course, but also our equipment doesn't like nuts and bolts running through it either, the grinding equipment. So, um, so then we have uh, up here in our, our processing facility, it gets um, ground, the, nat the natural root gets, gets ground and then mixed with vinegar and salt and water. And that's it. Very simple, natural product. Um, I think it's in, as, as consumers are looking for their diet and healthy condiments, you know, we're kind of right there in the sweet spot because it's just got a ton of flavor. It got a ton of benefits and there's no sugar, fat, cholesterol, or any of that stuff. So, um, what simple, are some of the health what are some of the health benefits other than cleaning your sinuses out? Um, I mean, there has to be some some other benefits because it's a hot, it's a it's a spicy condiment. So, I mean, for people to have tried this and keep coming back to it, there has to be something. There has to be something good that comes along with all that flavor. Yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot of research out there about the benefits of horseradish. You know, we are not able to make some of those health claims ourselves, but what some of the other you know research out there is saying is it's really good for digestion. Uh, it's good for for nasal con congestion. There's some antibacterial properties in it. Um, I th I think empirically a long a long time ago, it's a natural complement for meat and seafood. So if you put horseradish on steak or on seafood, this, this antibacterial property of horseradish, I think, helped kill some of the food pathogens before refrigeration. And people just got sick less often, you know, when they paired those two together. So, you know, that's one of the reasons they also taste good. I think that there's a, there's a benefit, a complementary benefit by having horseradish to meat and seafood. But I think... You know, a long time ago, this has been a condiment that's been around for a long time. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they 
you know, interesting as sick as often. So let's let's put those two let's put those two together. That, that sounds pretty cool. Um, there are some pharmaceutical companies that are are looking at horseradish and utilizing a property in horseradish called horseradish peroxidase. And we've talked to a few of those, and we have actually sold horseradish roots for the peroxidase in them. And they're using that in a lot of research for cancer and for a whole other things. There's just a booming field there uh, post COVID. Um, and just, you know, what can you do with horseradish peroxidase? I don't know all the particulars on that, but, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it would be, it'd be fun to do more if there was a heavy research into some of the other health benefits of horseradish. Um, uh, but it's got good vitamins and, you know, nice, nat natural, healthy product. So and it goes, it makes your roast beef sandwich taste better, which is what it does. I'm mostly focused on. <laughs> <laughs> Is horseradish, I mean, I know it's big in like the Midwest area, and I know you've kind of said that there's obviously a lot of growers around the world for it. Is it as big as it seems in the Midwest, or is there a market for it really all over the world? Yeah, actually, the biggest markets for our products are in the Northeast. Oh, so okay. New York is the largest market by volume. Uh, Philadelphia market is the highest per capita consumption of horseradish, so... Uh, you know, volume a little smaller than New York, but by per capita, they're using more of it. Um, and then, then you kind of bounce around a little bit to uh, Southern California, LA market's pretty big. I mean, you can imagine Chicago is big to um, Florida. So, so those are the kind of, and, and then uh, DC, Baltimore area also, there's a lot of consumption. Those are the kind of the, the big, the big bulky markets. Um, there's a, there's a, a demographic, uh, it's used for Passover and our, we make a kosher for Passover product. It's actually represents the bitter herb. So it's served as part of that tradition. Um, and so it's a big time for, for Passover and with the Jewish population as well. Um, and for a, a whole variety of holidays, uh, Rosh Hashanah coming up, Yom Kippur, Hanukkah. Um, so, so wherever there's kind of a, a maybe a large Eastern European uh, demographic, there, there tends to be um, a good market for, for horseradish. I'm interested. So your, you said your grandfather started the farm? Great-grandfather. Yep. Your great-grandfather. Okay, so if you could sit down with your great-grandfather and show him what things are like today, what do you think would be the biggest changes from when he started to where you're at today. He would be blown away with the scale of the facility and the production and the amount of pounds. Uh, and then the whole variety of other things that we make. Um, and that were that, that what he started back then is continuing on in a family business. It, it is so rare uh, to, to make it here to fourth and fifth generation. Congratulations. Um, and, and I'm seeing in our industry in horseradish, you know, it's not happening all the time. I just kind of thought this was normal. This is just what happens. No, it's not. Um, there, there's a lot of consolidation happening. A lot of the next generation that's not getting into these businesses and carrying them on. So I feel very, very fortunate that 
you know, Ellis started the company and was successful. And then the next generations after him continued and continued to make improvements. And that's essentially what I'm trying to do. My, my number one goal for the company is to leave it in better shape for the next generation than when I found it. I, I feel like I'm a, a caretaker um, and I want to do good with it um, and make improvements. And, and I think one of the advantages we have maybe then some, some other types of uh, business structures is we can be multi-generational and long-term planning, long-term thinking. And, you know, I can make an investment now that's not going to get me a return next year. <laughs> and I've done a couple mm-hmm. of those. Um, you know, some of the investments we did in solar, you know, those are going to be five, six, seven year returns on the, on that. I think it's the right thing to do. It'll help us. It'll pay for itself in five, six, seven years. Generally, I want a quicker return on that, but, um, on those, on that capital, that, that, that resource that's so scarce sometimes in family businesses. Um, but it sets us up, I think, well, for 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you know, when, when my kids are old enough to come in and, and, and play around in the business, um, you know, are they going to look back and say, you know, these were good decisions. Uh, maybe some of them weren't, I, I don't know, but we have the intention of a, a kind of long-term planning. So. We, we had a lot of trials and tribulations through the years, too. It wasn't guaranteed that we were going to make it here. And I'm sure we will face our own challenges moving forward for the next 30 years. Um, but that's part of the fun of it. You know, how do you, how do you face them on, you know, take them head on and uh, be innovative and, and find ways around it, like, like uh, those before us did to, to get us here. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting, I think, to, to have this opportunity and do some good with it. That's yeah. something I always really admire about multi-generational farms is just see how far they've come since when they first started. And, and then once you can talk to your kids or your grandkids to see what they appreciate that generations did before them to set them up for success, because it's never just about you. It's always thinking ahead to the future generations. So I'm always happy to hear that. I come from a multi-generational family as well. So it's always appreciated knowing that we're not the only farm thinking that way. So kudos to you guys for doing that too. <laughs> One other thing Ellis, I think would be surprised at is our product probably tastes exactly the same <laughs> as it did. It's the same variety. <laughs> so we've been doing it this way. Uh, so I think that might be pretty pleasing. He didn't have cranberry horseradish back then. So I think he liked some of the new flavors that we've come up with. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would be fun. I never got to meet him and I never got to meet my grandfather. So my, my, this is on my mom's side of the family, the business. And it would have been cool to meet them uh, and, and hear their perspective and, and I'd ask them a ton of questions, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> that would be fun. But yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't get that opportunity. So we'll have to, to make do and, and uh, charge on ahead. Looking forward, um, do you guys have any like big plans that you want to do? I know, obviously, you know, keeping everything sustainable for the next generation if they wanted to take it over. Um, do you have anything else like is expansion on your mind or just continuing to be innovative, things like that? Yeah, I, I, one thing I'm really worried about is, you know, the labor market and access to labor for both the ag side and, and also in uh, food production. We were 
maybe five years ago, really struggling to get local farm labor, you know, to, to, to help us um, there. And then, you know, we were no different than everybody else in, in manufacturing uh, with the great resignation and, and kind of the loss of, of labor. Um, so, so we've had to make some adjustments and I'm thinking about that as we move forward. How can we, how can we do more, uh, how can we be more efficient? Uh, essentially with with the same or less even less labor so are there things we can leverage technology wise automation um precision agriculture i love that concept for for the farm because it means we can just deliver what the crop or the plant needs and nothing more nothing less we can just water what it needs nothing more nothing less that's going to be just less labor less wear and tear on equipment less fuel um great for being more environmentally friendly, but also great economics. Uh, and if we have a shortage of labor um, that continues, and I think if you look at the demographics, it's not real promising for a while, we're, we're probably gonna all be facing some of these challenges. So you know, how can we you know, leverage ourselves every labor hour in a more efficient way? Uh, and there's a lot of opportunities. I, I, there are things we're doing still that we can streamline and, and tighten up uh, both on the farm and in food production, just you know, even food waste. Just making sure we got more product in the bottle. Come on, guys, can't sell it <laughs> if it hits the floor. <laughs> so yeah. let's make sure we we can sell everything we make and and uh, don't lose any efficiency inefficiencies there. Um, so I think that I think that's going to be facing all of us. You know, mm-hmm. just the labor challenges and what can we do to to be more efficient. As far as our expansion plans, I, I think they're going to be along the lines of um, automation and and um, being able to make more with less, um, and maybe changing the the style jobs that we have uh, because they're hard they're hard to fill. You know some of these some of these positions. So. Yeah. Well, Eric, I don't want to take too much of your time tonight, but we appreciate you for stopping by so much. I know I learned a whole lot um, that I that I didn't before. So where can people go to find your product online or maybe learn a little bit more about your farm and family history? That's a great question. I think the best source of information would be our website, um, which is www.silverspringfoods.com. And that's got our history. It's got the information about the zinc factor I mentioned, showcases all the products we make. And we even have a store locator function there. So you can just, you know, go to the store function, store locator function, product locator, type in your zip code, put in the product you're looking for, and it'll shoot back. You know, if we have that product within, uh, you know, a short distance of, of where it is that you're looking for it. Now we sell a lot of different products. Uh, Silver Spring, our flagship products are refrigerated horseradish products. So it's kind of tricky because you got to, there's no horseradish sec- section of the grocery store that is just clearly marked. I wish they would do this, but they don't. Horseradish section over here, like come, <laughs> come buy it. Um, it's in the dairy. T- typically, there's two two ways to get it to market. Since we have to keep it cold channel, um, we've historically with Silver Spring partnered with dairy distributors, so we're generally selling to dairy buyers at the supermarket, and so we're in the refrigerated dairy case. So that's a mouthful, but that's a great place to look for 
our refrigerated horseradish products. <clears throat> our mustards are easier. They're, they're generally in the, the condiments section, the mustard section of a, of a center store grocery store. Uh, and then sometimes you can find some of our products in the seafood set um, because meat and seafood is a great place to have condiments like ours. Uh, generally, people aren't going to the store to buy horseradish alone uh, or eat it by itself. They're, they're generally figuring out the center of the plate first and then we're a tag along. So if we can get our product closer to the meat and the seafood, uh, that's always a, a win for us. Um, for in-store merchandising and, and kind of getting those impulse purchases there. But we have the ability to, to sell it online too. Um, Shipping is a little expensive, uh, but it is available. Um, you know, it's going to be more economical if you can find it in the local, your local market. Awesome. But I, yeah, I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, t tell our story and, and um, uh, share some of the good things that we're doing. Sorry, you guys froze on me. <laughs> I will link your website in the show notes below along with your social media handle as well because I did see on Instagram that you posted a video about making an after-school snack with um, Triscuits and creamy peanut butter and the cranberry horseradish. And I'm very interested to try that because that is not a combination I would have thought of on my own. So I'm going to, I'm going to go try that because you guys, I'm going to trust you on this one. It sounds a little wacky, but I'm going to trust you. It, it is, but it's surprisingly delicious. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, some of the more uh, uh, unusual uh, serving suggestions are the ones that you remember most. You're like peanut butter and really, I got to try it. I got to try it. That's that's called good marketing. It is. It got and my attention. Cottage cheese. There's like a cottage cheese craze right now with mustard. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Oh, with mustard. No, that's yeah. a new one. So mustard and cottage cheese. So so uh, we're doing that because we make mustard, but also horseradish and cottage cheese is great. And then um, we tried my marketing team. I was telling them about you know my college days where they had horseradish and cottage cheese as a as a dip for uh, with ruffles potato chips is delicious and then mm. they're like well what do you want to try it with cranberry and see how that goes and that was even better i, I thought it was oh, great you gave it a red color and yeah with the ruffles potato chips it was amazing so i'd give that a shot too i well, think i'm, I'm gonna, gonna have be to. busy I'm, i know i'm all about the cottage cheese movement right now like i love it <laughs> um and i'm thinking that might be good i'm not like a super hot person like i just like cranberry. cranberry will be good yeah, yeah good. but with oh blending it with that with cottage cheese as a dip that sounds that so would good. be good healthy i'm gonna do that right? yeah great for the dairy industry great for cranberries great for horseradish so i think it's it a win 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 oh my gosh yeah win for Wisconsin. we're on to something now <laughs> all right well again thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight tonight we really appreciate it i have learned so much and i think i'm gonna like go deep dive into ways that i can use horseradish now um if you guys enjoyed listening please let us know you can leave us a rating or review on apple Podcasts and spotify and a lot of other places i think you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube at Forward Farming Podcast. You can find Amber at Cranberry Chats and I'm over at Becca Hilby. Does Silver Spring have an Instagram page? We do. All right. Do you want to plug that? Is it just Silver Spring Foods? It is. Yes. All right. 
So go check them out too. Um, Amber and I will probably be tagging them as we create these new horseradish creations. (laughs) But uh, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll catch you next week.